Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Finishing up the last couple of verses. Hopefully you got your study notes when you uh, came in, and you can see what we've covered so far. <clears throat> we are looking at to look to conclude the final verses of the study of chapter 7. And to begin our study this morning, I just want to share with you... Uh, a story that I think will help in our understanding of these final verses. According to the Associated Press, in 1997, the United States Treasury Department uh, planned to put into circulation a new $50 bill. Way back then, 1997. With very special features that were designed to stop counterfeiters, or at least to slow them down anyway. And after printing nearly 30 million of these bills at a cost of about 1.4 million, it was discovered that there was a flaw in the new bill that they just printed. And there's small little breaks in the fine little lines around the photo of Ulysses S. Grant. Well, that presented a real dilemma for the Treasury Department because in the first year that a bill goes into circulation, it's essential that it be perfect because it then becomes the standard in which they judge every other bill to see if it's a counterfeit or not. Well, and again, anyone unfamiliar with the bills may assume that the new bill is a counterfeit. So, consequently, the bills in question were put under seal at the Federal Reserve District Bank until a decision about whether to destroy them or not was made. Which leads us to an understanding this morning about perfection from our illustration. The more valuable something is, the more important it is that it's perfect. And as God's image bearers, his crowning capstone of creation, humanity was infinitely more valuable to God than, let's say, a $50 bill. And since God is perfect, his desire for us is perfection. And to be in perfect fellowship with him forever. And we see this in the very first books of the Bible, where we see Adam and Eve walking in the coolness of the garden with the Lord. There was a perfect fellowship with God and perfect access to him. But shortly thereafter, we read about an event that changes all that, don't we? The fall. And because of the fall of man, humanity can no longer enjoy perfect fellowship with God because of our sin. Sin created a barrier between us and God that needed to be addressed in order for us to be reconciled to him. And without reconciliation, we could no longer have that unhindered access to God that he desired and that we need. And that solution, of course, was a mediator. Somebody needed to stand before God on behalf of the people, and somebody needed to stand before the people on behalf of God. We needed a mediator to come in to solve this dilemma of a perfect God and imperfect people. Well, under the law, that mediator was a high priest. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 28. I know you just got comfortable in Hebrews 7, but you can put your thumb there or fold the pages, whatever you do normally. Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. So God commanded that there be a mediator. And he says in Exodus 28, Genesis, Exodus, second book of your Bible, chapter 28, verse 1. 
Then bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. Now, no man could appoint himself as a high priest. No. No one took a spiritual gift test and then self-determined that they should be a high priest and then applied for the position. That's not how it works. You can read it from the text here. Now, the way he became a priest was through God's divine choice and call of the tribe of Levi, Levi to serve as a priest. And then we read about uh, 142 different tests for blemishes that you could not have. External. Everything was external. Aaron, a Levite, would serve as the high priest. Now, Aaron was Moses' brother and had served as Moses' spokesperson. And it was, he's, he had held up Moses' hands in prayer. And he went up on the mountain to see God. But Aaron was also the one who led Israel into false worship of the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. It's very clear from the outset that being a priest would not be dependent upon the spiritual inward perfection of that priest, but rather upon the grace of God. And yet still, God demands perfection. And his demands of perfection have not changed for either his people or the mediator of his choice, the high priest. And you can see that even in the clothing of the high priest. Everything there was demonstrated and worn to be uh, symbolic of him uh, representing the people before God. Every single piece of that clothing. The Bible describes the priest's clothing as holy and glorious and beautiful. Interestingly, those are the same descriptions that the Bible uses to describe God. Holy, glorious, beautiful. The holiness of the priest's clothing demonstrated that he had been set apart by God in his role as the high priest. And the glory of his clothing demonstrated the tremendous responsibility he had to be a mediator before the glorious great God of Israel. And then lastly, the beauty of the clothing reflected the splendor and beauty of God as he approached. The priest wore an ephod, which was a long sleeveless vest with two straps over the shoulders. And two semi-precious stones were mounted on the shoulder straps, and they were inscribed with the twelve names of the tribe of Israel. Symbolically represented that the priest was carrying the weight of the tribe of Israel on him as he went and approached God. He was the representative. He was a mediator between man and God. On the front of the ephod was a breast piece made of fabric with 12 precious stones mounted on it, each signifying the 12 tribes of Israel. And the high priest also wore a robe made of blue that hung down to his knees that had fringe decorated with little bells that made a tinkling sound wherever he went. And finally, he wore a turban of fine linen that was engraved with the words, Holy to the Lord. Signifying that he and the people were set apart by God and for God to be a holy nation. But before the priest could even wear these garments, he had to be consecrated. And you see that in Exodus chapter 29, verse 4. It says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. And you'll see in verse 4 that he washed them with water. That symbolized spiritual purification. 
And then he dressed him in holy garments, you see in verses 5 and 6. And then he was finally anointed with oil, which indicated he was chosen by God for a specific task. At this point, the priest looks good on the outside, but there's a big difference between their holy, glorious, beautiful garments on the outside and their spiritual condition, which was unholy and unclean. And something had to be done about the sin in their own lives before they could stand before God. How could they stand and represent the people before God for their sins if they still had unconfessed, unatoned for sin in their own lives? So that sin had to be addressed. And the remedy there was sacrifices. And there were three sacrifices required. There was a sin offering which showed the priests needed forgiveness for their own sins. And then there was a burnt offering which com was completely consumed by fire which symbolized their complete need for total, for, for complete and total dedication to God. And then finally, the blood sacrificed, it sanctified the priest for all of their sacred duties. The blood of the offering was applied to the priest in very specific locations for very specific requirements. The blood was applied to the lobe of the priest's ear, indicating that he was devoted to listening to God. And then it was applied to his thumb, indicating that whatever he did was to be done to the Lord and for the Lord. And then finally, it was applied to his big toe, indicating that all throughout his walk, he was dedicated to the Lord. In essence, the priest was dedicated to the Lord from head to toe. And one of the primary functions as a priest was to conduct this perpetual blood sacrifice on behalf of the people. And if you would have been there in that day, you would have witnessed that each day you couldn't have missed the significance of the blood and the amount of sacrifices that were going on at that temple 24 hours a day, every day. And that there was a huge price that was necessary to obtain forgiveness from God. And you would have been very grateful that there was a priest offering sacrifices and prayers on your behalf. You would have been great and, and instructing you in the truths of God. You would have been very grateful indeed. And so the priest was a mediator saying on behalf of God's people to Israel, will you accept me on the basis of this blood sacrifice? And the priest was saying on behalf of God to his people, will you be holy? Will you be set apart unto me? Well, the priesthood had a wonderful beginning. Turn over to the next book, Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. Everything is done. The priests are all consecrated. They're all in their robes. The sacrifices are prepared. Here we go, Leviticus 9, 22. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burn offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces that God was in their midst. But the very next chapter, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Now, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans and after putting fire in them, 
placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. So from the very beginning, the Levitical priesthood was shown to be less than perfect. The sad reality is that the vast majority of the priests never lived up to what God had demanded when he had set them apart for service. And as we continue reading throughout the scriptures, turn to 2 Chronicles. Keep moving to your right. 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. As we continue reading throughout scriptures, we see the corruption of the priest that led Israel into exile, and eventually the priesthood broke down altogether. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 14. He says, Furthermore, all the officials of the priest and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. Eventually, the day would come when no priest would mediate between God and man. No priest would wear the holy, glorious, and beautiful garments before the Lord. No priest would be making sacrifices for sins. No priest would be providing access to God. Clearly something needed to change because what did God desire? God desired perfection. Eternal forgiveness of our sins, eternal reconciliation with his people, and eternal access of his people to him. A new priest was needed. Someone who was different, a different kind of priest. A different kind of priest to mediate between man and God. A new priest, a different kind of priest that would offer a sacrifice for the guilt of our sin so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God, not just temporarily, but forever. And once we were reconciled, he could restore access to God again. And to accomplish this, a new priest, a new priesthood were needed. Not a priest from the Levitical order, but from a different order, from the order of Melchizedek. God was seeking perfection in his relationship with his children. He wanted them to be reconciled to him, not just temporarily, but forever. In order for them to be reconciled to him forever, they needed to have their sins forgiven, not just temporarily, but forever. He wanted them to have access to him like they did in the garden not just for a little while, but forever. This is what perfection was to God, and it's, it was the bringing about to completion, to fulfillment of the intended purpose of the covenant God had made with his people. But the law and the priesthood, through all of the sacrifices they offered and all of the laws they administered, could not bring this perfection about that God so desired. A change was needed in the covenant. A change was needed in the priesthood. A change was needed in the law, and a change was needed even in the high priest. We, all of humanity, needed a high priest who could attain perfection for God's people. 
But the only high priest that could attain perfection is a perfect high priest. And the only perfect high priest is Jesus. Now last week, we finished the section about why Jesus' priesthood was better. You see that in your notes, number 6 through number 11. You see all that? That's all in reference, right? You can see that. You can read those verses for yourself, for your own study. and Those are the main points in there. But this morning, we want to look at these final verses and look at not just why Jesus was better, but why Jesus is our perfect high priest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for your wonderful truth. And I pray, Lord, we have open hearts and minds to your truth, not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Lord, as we, as we gain in knowledge and apply it to our lives, I pray, Lord, I bring you glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Look at verse 26, then, back in our text in Hebrews, as we look at the final three verses. It says, Therefore it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So point number 12 in your handout here, our perfect high priest has perfect character. Our perfect high priest has perfect character. Notice right off the bat, the first part of this verse. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. A better translation would probably say, such a high priest was fitted for us. The point is, is that Jesus is perfect in every way to accomplish the perfection that God desires. And the author actually uses that same uh, that same verb that he uses in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Remember? Where he says... Uh, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory. Right? So, same verb there. It was fitting. Or in other words, he was fitted for us. He's exactly what we needed. No other priest could ever accomplish what God desired for him to accomplish. The priest needed to be perfect. There are five things that are said about Jesus here that describe why he is our perfect high priest, and they all have to do with his character. The first one you see is holy. That points to his perfect, holy, moral character as one without sin. Usually the word used here is hagios, which means separated. That's where we actually get the word saint from, the separated ones. You remember that from Sunday school a few weeks back. But this is not the word hagios. This is the word hosios. And the word hosios means godly, devout. It's not talking about being separated unto service, which Christ was. But it talks about your internal character, your moral purity, your sinlessness. The Lord Jesus Christ is both hagios and hosios. He is both separated unto service and he is godly and devout and pure and holy and sinless. Now that word has a very specific messianic connotation because that's the same word that's used in Psalm 16. God's holy one who would not see corruption. In other words, God's sinless one who would not see corruption. And although the office of the priesthood required them to live holy lives, they battled in the flesh just like every other sinner. But not Jesus he was perfect, perfectly holy in his service, perfectly holy in his character. 
The next one is innocent. That means he's entirely free from all that is evil and harmful. He's entirely free from that. He is sinless. Again, undefiled means to be free from any moral or spiritual blemish. Again, he is pure, holy, undefiled. The priest would have been pure only in a ritual sense, right? Only when the water was poured on them were they ceremonially cleansed. But inwardly, they were not cleansed. But Jesus is completely pure throughout. Separated from sinners is what the next, uh, next adjective that you see does not mean that Jesus removed himself from contact with sinners. It means that although he was a friend of sinners, he kept himself separate and undefiled while he was with them. Unlike the Levitical priest who had to keep themselves from anyone who would defile them ritually, right? Remember, a leper had to walk around going, unclean, unclean, unclean. But Jesus could mix with sinful people, and yet their defilement never affected him. And he could touch lepers, and he could even touch the dead without contacting their defilement. The last one is exalted above the heavens. This again declares the truth of Christ's resurrection and his ascension and glorification seated at the right hand of the Father. It demonstrates the supreme perfection of our perfect high priest in our heavenly sanctuary above. Now with this understanding, look back at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 again. And read those verses with this understanding. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's our perfect high priest. You get a better understanding when we reread those verses of why the author started this epistle off with the attributes of Jesus and just alluded to his priesthood. He wants you to know that our high priest, our great high priest, is not like any other priest. He is perfect. Not just ceremonially perfect, but inwardly, morally undefiled, unstained, unblemished. That is who is representing us. That is who is ministering to us. That is who is interceding for us. The new priesthood is perfect because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is the one who constantly interceded on behalf of his disciples in prayer to God. He's the one who learned obedience through his suffering. He's the one who prayed for his disciples' faith to be strong when the hour of testing would come. That, Jesus, is your great high priest. And Jesus was indeed perfect in his character, and that made him uniquely qualified to be our great high priest. He was fitted perfectly for our imperfect condition. Look at So point number one, our perfect high priest accomplishes perfection because of his perfect character. Look at number two. Point 13, our perfect high priest gave a perfect sacrifice. And we can see that again in Hebrews 7, verse 27. 
who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Because our priest, high priest, is perfect, his ministry is also far different from the ministry of the imperfect high priests that were human, the ones that were appointed by the law. For when Jesus offered a sacrifice, he didn't need to atone for his own sin along with the sacrifices offered for the people he represented. Now some people read this passage and say, why does it say the priest offered up sacrifices for their own sin every day? I thought they just did that once a year. Well, it's true on the Day of Atonement. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 16. It's true on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, the priest would offer a sacrifice for himself and his family. And secondly, there does not seem to be a very specific law, uh, Old Testament law, that provides for sacrifice for priests on a daily basis. However, we do see some provisions in the law that seem to indicate that when the priests sin, their own sin need to be atoned for as well, not just on the Day of Atonement. So keep your place here in Hebrews, and let's just look at that quickly in Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 3. If the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. And then jump over to verse 13. Now if the whole congregation sins of Israel commits error and the matter escapes the notice of the assembly and they commit any of these things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and they become guilty, right? So there's a, there's a provision here. First we have a provision that if the sin priest If the priest sins, then we have a provision that says in Leviticus 4.13 that if the whole congregation, would that also include the priest who are part of the people of God? For when the whole congregation sins, which many believe include the priests, they're part of that. And then finally in Leviticus 6, verse 12, and this isn't a section talking about the priest part of the offerings. It says here in verse 12, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out, but the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it and offer up in smoke the fat portions of the peace offerings on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. So there was a perpetual fire on the altar as well. Uh, in a section detailing the priest's burnt offerings. And for some, this indicates that there were provisions made for daily sacrifices for priests, including uh, that they indeed were used daily. Now, we do know from other reading that near the end of the priesthood, near the time of the destruction of the temple, priests were indeed sacrificing every day. But there is no exact provision in text. There's a second aspect of Jesus' sacrifice that's also different from the Levitical priesthood. Not only does he not need to offer sins for his own, I mean, offer a sacrifice for his own sins, but because of the constant repetitions of sins, both by the priest and the people, there was also a need for them to constantly repeat the sacrifices. And for the Levitical priest, there's no end to sacrificing because as long as somebody, as long as there's sin, 
that sin needed to be atoned for, there would always be another sacrifice needed, but not for Jesus. Notice our text. Jesus' sacrifice was what? Once and for all, forever. Not only that, he did not merely sacrifice an animal, even if it was physically without blemish. He sacrificed himself. He is the one without spiritual blemish, the sinless lamb who took away the sin of the world. Hebrews 1.3 that we read earlier said that Jesus made purifications for our sins. Then in Hebrews 2 verse 17, he was appointed to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does that mean? He was appointed to take away the wrath of God, to appease the wrath of God towards all guilty sinners. And then in Hebrews 5.1, it says that it was the function of every priest to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. But here, for the first time, our author explicitly states that the sacrifice Jesus gave was his own life. Perfect life. Perfect sacrifice. He didn't have to do it over and over and over again. He did it once and for all. Our perfect high priest, who was perfect in character, gave the perfect sacrifice himself, and it was done. It was finished. Matter of fact, as he hung on the cross, he said those very words, It is finished. A sacrifice so perfect that it reconciled man to God forever by providing forgiveness for our sins, past, present, and future. A sacrifice so perfect that it tore the veil from the top to the bottom and provided access to God, anchoring us in the Holy of Holies forever. So point 12. Our perfect high priest accomplishes perfection because of his perfect character. Point number 13. Our perfect high priest accomplishes perfection because he gave a perfect sacrifice. Finally, let's look at verse 28, back in our text here, in Hebrews 7. He says in verse 28, For the law appoints men as high priests who were weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Verse 28 summarizes our section beautifully. The law appointed men to the priesthood who were weak, and they couldn't bring perfection. Why are they weak? Because they could not forgive sins eternally and completely. And without eternal forgiveness of sins, there's no eternal reconciliation with God. And without eternal reconciliation with God, there's no eternal access to God. But God changed all of that by the word of his oath when he said, I'll swear, I swear, and I will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That word made perfect means to bring to complete fulfillment. To complete exactly, to intend, to, to fill up its intended purpose. What was God's intended purpose? To bring about perfection. Jesus came. The one with per- perfect character. Who gave a perfect sacrifice and accomplished perfection forever for all who draw near to him. The verse tells us in verse 25. Verse 25. We are saved forever at the moment of salvation. We are being saved forever through our sanctification, through his eternal intercession. And one day soon, I hope, we will be saved forever from the presence of sin in these mortal bodies and be united with him forever. Forever forgiven. Forever reconciled. 
forever access to God, just as he desired from the very first day we were created. Our perfect high priest accomplishes perfection forever. We began this message, beloved, with a deep dive into the Levitical priesthood, didn't we? We looked at their clothing and their consecration and all of that. And we saw that every aspect of the priesthood was symbolic of mediating between God and man and man and God. The clothing they wore, the consecration ceremony, the sacrifices offered were all intended to represent the people before a holy and righteous God. Even the breastplate that said, holy to the Lord the stones representing the 12 tribes. Everything about the priest was a constant reminder to the priest and the people that there was a barrier between them and God. And only one who was appointed and consecrated consecrated, had their sin atoned for could ever come into the presence of God. And then, and only then, very briefly, the laws that Aaron and his priest administers could point out mistakes They could point out sins, but they could do nothing to provide complete forgiveness. They could do nothing to provide complete reconciliation. And they certainly could not provide continual and eternal access to him. We needed a different kind of priest. God, in his infinite wisdom, provided that perfect priest for his imperfect people. And just as Melchizedek remained a priest forever, Jesus serves us as a priest forever. His perfect priesthood is perfect because he is perfect. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. His perfect priesthood gave the perfect sacrifice once and for all that accomplishes the eternal forgiveness of sins we needed for eternal reconciliation with God. And his perfect sacrifice also provided that eternal access to God that he desires and we so desperately need. This is our perfect high priest, Jesus. We have in Christ a Savior and high priest who can take imperfect people. That's you and I, beloved. He can take imperfect people and lead them to eternal salvation. He prays for us. He offers forgiveness when we come to him with confession and repentance. He is eternally available to us to offer his encouragement and support. We have in Jesus who a priest who can take all of our imperfections and make us what we should be in him. Amen. Beloved, we are all imperfect. All imperfect. We needed a perfect high priest. And as we're preparing our hearts and our minds here today for communion, what better thought than to think about our perfect high priest. No sin in him, and yet he carried the sin of the world. By his stripes we are healed. He gave the perfect sacrifice, not again and again and again, but once and for all and forever. And he provides continual eternal access for us, even today. So when we come to him, we know he hears There's never a time he's too busy. There's never a time when his calendar's too full. There's never a time when he doesn't hear us. We have a perfect high priest. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as your personal sinner, I pray today you would surrender your life to him. I pray you would go to the one and the only one who gives eternal life.
They recognize you're a sinner, that yet sin needs to be atoned for, and that you cannot do that on your own. You need Christ, the one who paid for your sins through his atoning work on the cross. And if you're here today, and you've already trusted Christ, I pray that you are thankful, thankful for all you have, and not just any priest, not just any mediator, but a perfect high priest, fitted perfectly for an imperfect people. I'm going to ask the men to come forward if they would.